Good afternoon, Slam Ball enthusiasts. Welcome to another episode of your favorite Insider Slam Ball podcast. Not your favorite, it may not be your favorite Slam Ball podcast, but definitely your favorite Insider Slam Ball podcast, Slam mm -hmm. Ball Nation. We are the nation committed to the greatest sport in the history of the planet, Slam Ball. I'm your co host, Brendan Kirsch, head coach of the undefeated, undisputed, 18 0 world record champion, Mob. Also, arguably, probably the most handsome team in slam ball from coaching staff all the way down. I'm joined by my equally bald is beautiful with a little bit of a, a, a October beard going here. Uh, Co-host, who's also the head coach of the buzzsaw, Hernando Planels Jr. Hernando, what is crack a lacking, my friend? Listen, it's another beautiful day here on the nation as we inch our way toward the 2024 season, hoping and waiting for the official announcement. So what I just said was not the official announcement. Don't start tweeting it or Xing it or whatever else it is. I'm just saying I'm waiting for the next season. Hernando, heard Coach Planell's there dropping some fake news. Uh, <laughs> clickbait. That's some clickbait stuff, Coach. All right, what are we getting into today? All right, starting with our next episode, which is going to be episode four, we're diving into what we're calling a team series, which is where we spend that entire amount of time with just one team, focused on their season, things that went well, things that maybe didn't go so well. And that's going to include interviews and analysis with uh, select coaches and players. So tell us what we're doing today, Coach, before we get into all that. Yeah, I, I think in, in a great way to kick this off is to actually have a mini breakdown of every team that that we're just going to go through with um and really give our opinion and right did i did i say the right thing and then I think we're gonna, <laughs> we have no we have no cue cards coach they they can't cancel us no matter how bad they it can, goes so. They can. so we're gonna start off with i mean listen between you and me we all know who we're gonna start off with um but i'll let you announce it well, you got to start with the team that's on top of the mountain, right? Like, how do you not start with the world champion, top of the mountain? I mean, we're really drinking it in like a fine wine mob because we have we have all the goods for the next nine months. We've got the hardware. We got to party with Des Bryant and Marshawn Lynch. We got to hoist the 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 Gordon Tolan Trophy, which I think I mentioned it weighs like eighty five pounds. I think it's real gold. Wait, wait, did you say hoist or moist? <laughs> I said hoist. Oh, hoist. guys, we got to hoist it. All Although right. I, I did lay a moist kiss on it. I will tell you that. So, Coach, if you ever win the Gordon Tolan Trophy, I just want to let you know that my lips have been on it. So, that's hey, listen, you just tell me where. I will try, either try to avoid it or <laughs> be like, <"Come> here, <laughs> We're going to start with the mob. We're going to go every single team, all eight teams. Coach Hernando and I, if you've ever listened to this podcast, we end up being a little bit chatty. Uh, so we're going to try not to do that. We're going to try to stay hyper-focused, five minutes per team. I'm sure we're going to knock it out in no time. We're going to start with the mob. And how do you start with the mob without mentioning Gage Smith, Coach? He was the MVP. He was an awesome player. He was the stops leader in the league with 156 stops. He was the loose uh, ball retrieval leader, which I know is a stat that that you believe is one of the most important in slam ball, if not the most important with 172. Um, he was a fantastic player. And really for me, I mean, I was the head coach of the mob, so I have some unique insight here. He he was the quarterback of our team. Thought he did an exceptional job. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've said it before. I'll say it again. He is AI, not Allen Iverson. He is artificial intelligence because that guy – would change and and I talk about this play a lot, but you know I had a uh, uh, my handler would come down, he he get in, boom, hit the tramp, and he would do a wraparound pass, and he was getting people, and of course he was like, coach, I got I got Gage, I got, and of course he does a wraparound pass, and there's Gage with like this scissor kick, like he was in in the 1998 Winter Olympics going for the figure skating championship, he just he did the karate chop. Boom! And and it like the ball went everywhere. And I I remember the play because I said, ah, oh, what else am I supposed to do, man? We've got everything, and but AI, Gage Smith is 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 unbelievable, best player in slam ball, and I, I don't think there's no debate. You can't debate me because you'll be wrong. 
Yeah, he was unbelievable. And you're right. Like his adjustments, the adjustments that he made, you could get him on a couple things. Like I remember specifically Slashers got him on a couple things. I think the Rumble got him on a couple things. And as soon as you get him once or twice, he adjusts and you just can't do it anymore. Um, Unbelievable player. Uh, Obviously looking forward to having him back. Um, Also Cam Horton. Like I think Cam Horton, uh, he really flew under the radar. Uh, in my personal opinion, like not for me, because I saw him every single day, but taking a step back now and looking at the slam ball landscape, I don't think he maybe got the credit that he deserved for being kind of the glue that held our team together in the open floor. I mean, he really was the one initiating our offense a lot of the time, in addition with Justin Holloway and and Brandon Simpson, but he was the assist leader in the league at 4.5 assists per game. That was one more per game than anybody else in the league, which I thought was pretty impressive. Uh, and then obviously you've got Darius Clark, right? Second in points per game with 20.1 points. Um, and he was also seventh in hits, uh, which I thought was pretty impressive too. The mob actually had three players that were top eight in hits, which I was really proud of. I don't know how they do the hit stat, by the way, because Tony Neither. Crosby was like number one overall. And I know he laid some hits. I don't, I don't know. We'll have to get clarification on that. But we had Brandon Simpson with second in hits, Justin Holloway third, and Darius Clark was seventh. So overall, uh, pretty good from a, from a staff perspective. Yeah, I, the hits, I, I, I could never get a clear understanding of what a hit is. I don't know if it's like a little body contact, a little elbow, who, na- who knows um, with it. But I will have to say, and, and for you folks at home, because I know you're listening to this, watching this, ingesting it into your system, Coach Kirsch really did see Cam Horton, right? And I think, well, everybody, myself looking for a stopper, a lot of people were looking for scores and gunners, but I'd say Coach Kirsch was always like, you know, I think Cam Horton is going to be able to run the offense that we need uh, to do. And, and you know, when you're scouting, the hardest part is saying, is this guy similar to like everybody else? Does he have a skill set? And I, I mean, I have to say, I thought he had a skill set similar, but, but the thing is, and I've said this before, like the way your offense runs, the way you're just throwing lobs, like behind your back, you know, outside, like, I don't know, like throwing out of your ass. I don't know what it is. I don't know how you throw those passes, but he was able to do it. Darius Clark, high flyer. I mean, Brandon was just tough. Like you, you just had a team that bought into what you needed to to go to do and they played for each other and i think the three teams that finished at the top really played uh for each other and which was really really helpful totally agree with you and that that i felt like even i felt then like we nailed the draft i know coach blue felt like that i feel now like we nailed the draft i think we just got i'm not saying they were the best collection of seven players in the league i'm i think they were the perfect players that we needed on our team to run that system And I think to your point, Coach, you practiced with us. You saw us every single day. I think they did buy into that system, and I think they executed it perfectly. And we, I think we had success early because the system worked. And I think, candidly, Coach, we didn't buy into some of the stuff that a lot of the other teams bought into right out of the gates with the bounce down into the scoring bed. I think a lot of those teams saw the scoring bed being bigger, and there's more sweet spots in the corner to be able to attack the stopper from without the stopper being able to stop you. And I think a lot of offenses were geared around that early, and we totally ignored that. We said we're going to do what we always do, which is try misdirection from the outside tramps, try to look for the lob when it's there, and if the stopper isn't going to honor that initial attack, we're going at them. So it's all about reads and misdirection, and I thought they did a, a, a great job executing. Yeah, they they did a really, really great job. And, you know, our team benefited as well, too, practicing, watching, and then doing all the all the similar drills. Because we, I think you and I practiced together the most, meaning in that two-hour time period, I think we probably practiced hour, hour 20, maybe hour and a half sometimes yeah. together a little bit uh, in order to get all that timing of it. No doubt. All right, so Mob finished the season 18 and 0, a record 18 and 0, only undefeated team in Slamball. Broken record, everybody. It sounds like a broken record. <laughs> Sorry, it's just the facts. It's just it's facts, true. coach. It's true. It's true. All right, next up we have the Slashers, who finished second uh, by way of making it to the championship game. Obviously, they were nine and seven, along with the Buzzsaw at nine and seven as well. Uh, and I don't think you can talk about the Slashers and coaches. Uh, uh, Stan Fletcher, um, Kevin Stapleton, and Myrie Bowden without talking mm-hmm. about Tony Crosby the second. Right. Yeah. I mean, explosive guy, right? He he would be doing all the different things. And, you know, Tony, 
uh, wore sunglasses during during tryouts, and uh, and and he he took them off. And but he was so good on the tramp, right? And he would just score on people. And he the thing about him, like smiling guys, you don't think they're tough. I think Tony's tough. Yeah. I think Tony would go right at you, and he would like dunk on you and smile, and then be talking and jawing. Like he was really in his element compared to some of the other guys. I thought he was really, really in that moment. No doubt, from Long Beach, California. How about this? Tony Crosby comes from a track and field background. Darius Clark, track and field background. Are we missing something here? Because I think Darius Clark and Tony Crosby, not only two of the best high flyers in the league, two of the toughest guys in the league. And who would have guessed that guys coming from track and field would be tough, but those two dudes were tough as they come. Tony Crosby, the second, fifth in points per game at 17.3, third in assists per game at 3.1, seventh in loose uh, loose ball retrievals per game with 64. I don't know, by the way, how slam ball stat page, some of it is like, per game, broken down per game, and some of it is yeah. just numbers. So uh, Luke Hayworth or whoever needs to fix that at Slam Ball yeah. headquarters, we need you guys to, to fix those stats. Uh, on, and Luke. then we mentioned first in hits, right? With 64 hits is what they have him listed for. So uh, absolute beast. I really, really thought the Slashers had one of the strongest rosters in the league because if you look at it, they had two guys that they played at the stopper position in Nathan Karstens and mm-hmm. then Amir Smith. Uh, both were fantastic. In fact, Nathan Karshens ended up fourth in the league in stops, and Amir uh, Smith was fifth. They had uh, 70 and 67, respectively. So <clears throat> they were stacked. You had Alonzo Scott. You had Bradley Laubacher, who uh, played some handler gunner. Alonzo Scott at gunner. Um, I mean, they Nar- uh, Nardarian James was, was very good. I thought they were a, a, just an absolutely stacked team, Coach. Yeah, and what they did really well – especially uh, Bradley and even Alonzo Scott and, and Tony, for that matter, they would read the stopper. They would enter, you know, the side to the scoring tramp and they'd see what the stopper is going to do. And they, you know, throw that backside lob or, or they'd finish it. I know Bradley got us a, a few times. And what I liked about Bradley Lawbacher is that he didn't say a whole lot. I think I spoke to him maybe like 10 words the whole time. I know you spoke to him more than I did, but we'll get into that a little later. But but we <laughs> but he he was he was uh he was so deadly and so was Alonzo. And the thing about Nathan, right? Nathan came late. He wasn't part of training camp if I remember correctly. And and yeah. and he came in and really was just a force on I want to say the inside, a force on that bottom tramp to mm-hmm. to make stops. Yeah, plus the he co- was. Plus, we can't forget that great <clears throat> coaching with those three guys over there. Yeah, that we've talked about it before. That's one of the strongest mm-hmm. staffs in the game. And I know I, I don't want to break news. Well, actually, I do want to break news. But uh, we were texting with Stan Fletcher. And he is a big fan of the podcast, obviously still works with the front offense and slam ball. And he was talking about the, the potential of maybe not coming back to coach again for another year. So I don't think that's set in stone or anything like that. But he mentioned to us saying, hey, I, you know, I think I'm going to continue to work on training and work in the slam ball front office. He wasn't sure. I mean, let's not forget he did slam ball a solid because uh, Coach Stapleton had fallen ill during um, during training camp. And that yep. really opened the door for uh, Stan Fletcher to come in and, 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 to, and to take the reins. And he did a fantastic job. I mean, he got them all the way to the finals. And my favorite part about the slashers coach was how they, you could see their offense start to adapt because at first it was a lot of bounce down into the scoring bed and they were letting Tony Crosby, the second, just bounce down and looking for options off of that. And then you saw later on, all of a sudden now Tony Crosby was distributing more uh, Mm -hmm. to your point. Like they were throwing that backside lob a little bit more. I mean, I know you saw, you guys played the slashers more than anybody. So I know you saw that uh, up close and personal. Yeah, they they got us on that last one. I, I really, you know, we lost by four on that one. We had the ball. I have to say it was a, a major coaching snafu on my part. I had a timeout at the end of the game. Um, usually, though, I do like to let the guys play, but I didn't control that as well as I can. Bus on Nation, I apologize for that. Um, but um, yeah, they they did such a, a really really good job, and and Tony's pace of play. Mm-hmm. is a big part of it because he'll just like bounce and then bounce and then all of a sudden be like right at the rim. You're like, how did he get there? This is crazy. How do you? So he did all these different things and, and you know, they got us on that last one. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was it was a good game for sure. I was getting ready for our semifinal game, which was the second game, even though we were the one seed because uh, we lost a coin flip. Um, <laughs> but we can talk about that at a later date. Uh, all right, we've got to go to the buzzsaw, also nine and seven, second place in the regular season, obviously third just by way of the playoffs. And coach, there's nobody better or more equipped to talk about the buzzsaw than the head coach of the buzzsaw, Hernando Planels Jr. Yeah, you know, and I love that guy. I I, I mean, I'm a huge coach Hernando Planels fan. He's um, a handsome and intelligent gentleman. It, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to make sure I'm going to cut that up and post that everywhere. That's what the world champion mob coach said about the buzzsaw coach. No, it was great. I, I thought we had a, a really good draft. I mean, you know, we yeah. I think it's well documented losing um, Michael Kolawale, our second round pick, and then uh, bringing in uh, our, our handler, uh, who really, who had never played. And then all of a sudden he's there. You know, T, T Howard, who was just yeah. phenomenal with it. And which, by the way, when I have to say this as a coach, maybe it's my ego. I always think I'm really, really tall. All right. So when when Terrell came. I was like, oh, this guy's my height. And then, like, as time goes on, I was like, this mofo was like 6'2". That's real, bro. This is, this is crazy. But anyways, tremendous, you know, that I had, you know, Jamal Barnes Jr., who, who was just explosive. I coached his dad. That guy would be yelling at everybody. You know, Taekwon Scott, uh, my stopper, um, you know, we, we, we lost. We went 1-9 in the preseason or 1-8. Had some injuries, just like a lot of teams will too. But Taekwon came and really showed some some great timing. And listen, I I don't shy away from it. We were the worst offensive team, but I do believe our strength was that we just we knew the rules. Number one, which really helped us earlier in the season, and then number two, we we were physical. We were physical and opportunistic. And and there are some games that I was like, I don't even know how we pulled out. Just like that game against the Lava. That must have been the most low-scoring game, yet fully excitement last 30 seconds, you know, in, in slam ball. Maybe yeah. with Ray Taylor, uh, who was our last pick, broke his hand, came back, played. I mean, I could go on and on about my team. I won't, but I love my guys. Love, love my buzzsaw guys. I'd, I'd do it. And special big shout-out to Sandy Fletcher, who is a tremendous, I don't know what we call it, assistant coach, coordinator. I don't know what it yeah. is. I'm going to tell you guys some of what Sandy would do every single day. I know I'm, I'm a little long-winded, but Sandy – Sandy's that guy who would go to the team every day and will tell someone, like, listen, Coach H is looking to replace you. You know, Coach H is looking at McDonald's, Walmart. He's trying to take your spot. What are you going to do today? And those guys would laugh, like that nervous laugh, and then would just come out and practice hard. So, Coach Sandy Fletcher, I love you. You're the man, and I love my team. Okay, I'm done talking about the bus all right. I love your team too, Coach. If you look at it, Ty Scott – Great first round pick. He was second overall in stops with 124 overall, second overall in loose ball retrievals with 116. So if you didn't know the name, if you just said, hey, would you like to draft the guy that's number two in stops and number two in LBRs, would you do it in the first round? Absolutely. Any yeah. slam ball coach would do that. So they did great. A couple other stats for the buzzsaw. T. Howard, seventh in assists per game with 2.3. Malik Abdul-Haq, fifth in loose ball retrievals. Um, you guys were good coach and you were long and I, and I agree with you. I think, and maybe I'm biased because we practice with you guys. I saw you guys play every single day. I saw what the offense could be and what it was sometimes at practice. And I know you guys were focused on physicality and forcing turnovers and all the things that made you great, but I don't think you're that far off from the offense really clicking. And I think if you had Michael Kowale, I think it would have been a much different story because then you've got who's coming off the bench. If you're starting Michael Kowale, who's coming off the bench for the buzzsaw? I want to know. I, I mean, I don't know because we did switch our lineup midseason. Um, and really, you know, we drafted Kowale because he, I, I wanted him to be sort of like the handler and gunner. Yep. And but as preseason came kept along, he was he was showing some great. But I think the big thing is, of course, he was a big thing. He was a big leader. But the great and yep. as everybody knows, I play everybody. I sub everybody in and out. So I wasn't so so much on the starting. I just wanted like who's who's going to compete. You know, like who's who's going to play? We're all on a playing field. I believe in all my guys. If I'm going to tell you I believe in you, then I'm play all of you. But you all better play hard. Like you all yep. better get after it. Well, I hope Michael Kowale comes back because he would be a tremendous asset. And I think he was a great leader. And I think he deserves a shot to be a slam ball star, which he definitely would be if he comes back. And any team either bringing, bringing Abdul Haq 
or Ralph Bellamy or one of those guys, Jamal Barnes Jr. off the bench. I mean, come on. That's a solid roster. Yeah, so the only right. thing that could only thing that could that up is coaching. Yeah. Um, all right. So moving on now <laughs> to the lava. And the lava. Fourth overall by way of the playoffs at five and seven. Uh, coached by Josh Carlson and um, Josh Carlson and Dion Bailey. Uh, moving on to them, Coach Jihad Shockley. They have yeah. Bryce Marange. They had Nathan Harris. They had Fessel Shafat, who probably ended up being one of the best stoppers in the league, arguably, you know, top one, two, uh, maybe three. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and they ended up peaking at the right time. Yeah, I, I mean, I have made no bones about it. I said this on draft day. I didn't think the Lava drafted well. And I said that. I believed it. And then and then halfway through the season, I was like, I don't know what the hell I'm looking at. I mean, I, I have no idea what I'm looking at because they just – I mean, Coach Carlson was devoted to his system. You know, mm -hmm. hit that side, top, lob, just dude. He, he had guys like – you know, Joshua Shannon and Jod, who were mm -hmm. long and could finish. Yep. And then, of course, having their stopper, he was like, he was really, really good. He's almost yeah. like AI Jr. because he also adjusted during the season as well, too. Yep. Um, and but so I, I thought they did a really, really good job. And and really, I mean, I mean, Josh Carlson, Dion Bailey probably turned the season around because they were former bouncers and they were coached by someone here on this podcast. Not going to say who it was, but I mean, that's what I'm going to go with. So good job, former bouncers. Yeah. I think you can look at the lava and say that the thing that plagued them the most was just injury. How good would they have been if it hadn't been for injuries? You had Bryce Marange. He was injured in training camp. Mm -hmm. He played through it. And I think that led to a couple other maybe ancillary injuries here and there. He was out for a few games during the course of the season and you had other guys step up. I think you mentioned like Josh Shannon was a very yeah. good player. He could attack the rim. He was strong. He was eighth in the league and loose ball retrievals was 63. Um, Jihad Shockley, especially as they adapted that offense, I think it, it was probably halfway through the season. They started to simplify their offense and they started running where they got, you know, they sent Jihad Shockley and Josh Shannon down immediately to the pads. And they just yeah. had them on, on both side beds standing right on the pad. So it was impossible to really stay between them and, and the slam zone. And then it was timing based. They would either get the ball directly to the island or pass it to the island. And then they, they would run that double bounce on the side, stack one for Jihad mm -hmm. Shockley. And he was very proficient at it. We saw it a lot. It was hard to stop. It was one of the few things that even Gage Smith had trouble stopping our stopper with the mob. And Shockley ended up seventh in points per game with 14.6. I mean, if, if it wasn't for injuries, I think these guys would have been much better than they, they, they ended up being, Coach. Yeah, and, you know, I was actually roommates with Dion uh, and Josh. And those guys were working. You know, they, Josh would have his laptop watching film. So would Dion. Um, they'd sit at, you know, we'd all sit at the table and just talk about different things. And, you know, they were really, really uh, devoted. And I think when they were 0 and 4 at one point, right? Mm -hmm. 0 and 4, 0 and 5. Yeah. You know, you could see the stress. And, and, and coaching is tough. And you're trying to coach and prove yourself as well, too, as a first time head coach. And and they, they really, you're right, turn around and, and got it back. But I was really, really impressed with their work ethic, watching film. Not to watch film to watch the glory of their team, but to really watch film on how can I break it down to get my team in the right spot. Yeah, no doubt. And and obviously they'll have hopefully a bunch of players coming back. I mean, Bryce Marange is is he was as solid as they come. I, yep. I would like to have seen what a star he would have become if it hadn't been for the injuries, because he was already, you know, damn good. And oh, if it yeah. hadn't been for those injuries and and you put him out there. Um, one of the guys that surprised me was Paxton Henry. Yep. I did not see him in the draft as having any impact at all in the game of slam ball. And he ended up being a very solid starter for the lava and an excellent distributor. Yeah, he, he really came along. I mean, he, I think he saw the pace of the game. He wasn't starting early, started later on, started to direct, right? Pace is such a huge part of any sport whatsoever, whether it's football, basketball, slam ball. Pace is so important, and Paxton was starting to learn how to play at that pace. And we said this before, 
if the season was another four weeks, you would have seen another group of guys on the teams raise their level of the mm-hmm. game because they're they're just used to it. Yeah, and you can't say enough. We can we can end it with this, but you can't say enough about Fessel Shafan. Like in yeah. my opinion, I just thought he got so good. He was. I didn't think he was going to be that. Oh, first of all, I didn't know that he was on Big Brother. Did you know he was a Big Brother star? No, I had no. Everyone was like, "Oh my gosh, yeah. that's the guy from." And I didn't even watch Big Brother, so I, so, I was like, "What? He's my Big so, Brother." Guilty pleasure here. My wife, uh, she got me into watching Big Brother. It's like, I don't watch reality TV. I don't watch it, but that's the one show. When we first started dating, she was like, I think you'll like this. It's psychology. It's strategy. There's games involved. Like, check it out and see. And we watched it. We watched it together. And I remember Fessel Shafat from that episode, but I had no clue that's who it was until we must have been two games into the season. And I think it was Michael Goldman, former Slamball player Michael Goldman, came and visited and was like, you know, that's Fessy from Big Brother. And I was like, no way. Uh, so that was pretty cool. But um, but he just – he got so good late. He was very hard to to score on. So so kudos to him. You know, right, real, real quickly, I, um, Coach Chris just mentioned his wife, the ultimate phenomenal mob wife. I'm not – hopefully I'm not degrading her. She is salt of you. She's amazing. And I would like to point this out. That Coach Kirsch went eight and zero with he went married to this phenomenal woman. So shout out, <laughs> good luck, Coach Kirsch, trying to take all the credit. I know who really runs the house. I'm an overachiever, Coach. Like every great coach, an absolute over. I I'll kick my coverage on her. There's no doubt about it. Thank my lucky stars every day I wake up. Um, all right, we've got the Wrath. They finish fifth. At five and seven, tied with the Lava by record and uh, coached by James Willis um, and assistant coach James Lee. And and obviously, if you look at the Wrath, you've got to talk about Ty McGee. Ty McGee mm-hmm. was one of the all-time great players in slam ball, one of the great players in the league this year. He was the league leader in points per game at 26.4, sixth overall in assists per game with 2.5. And then outside of Ty McGee, the only other player on the raft that finished within the stat leaders was Sean Stith, finished mm-hmm. eighth overall in stops, which there's eight teams. So you got to assume that each starting stopper is going to finish, you know, in one of those spots. But um, talk about the wrath a little bit here, coach. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they may have led the league in roster moves because they they <laughs> lost a lot of guys. I mean, Christian Gray, they did. a name that we have not said in a long time, was was their first round right. pick. And 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 he had a he had a go. Um, you know, over the course of of the season, they had to change so many different guys, which is which is really tough for any coach uh, and for any team for that matter. But I think Ty McGee kept it together. Um, Nick Parks really raised his stock. I mean, I want to talk about Darian Slade for a second because I remember at training camp and I was like, "Yo, man, I don't think." I, Slade is not going to be able to play. And I even told Slade later on in the year, I'm like, listen, man, I didn't have any faith in you whatsoever. He's like, for real, coach? I'm like, yeah, man. I said, but look at you now. Like, it, like you proved not just me, but you were out there playing tough, getting after it. Sean Stith was another guy who had, had, had a couple nagging injuries, and he came out just vocal, be yelling and everything else. You know, I mean, all these different things. And, of course, let's not forget – they're the ones who want to fight the ozone all the time. I mean, let's let's just break it out right there. All right, and that's going to be a rivalry that we talked about last week over and over again. It's just what it happens all the time. I would love to see a full strength rat team against a full strength ozone team because I know it's all this talking back and forth and everything else. But it, you got to be at least somewhat at full strength, and then go and then go from there. But I mean, James Willis, you know, one of the original founding, right, members of mm-hmm. a king of the mid-range, I think you called him last time. The dude, it's a mid-range jumper. I'm like, come on, man. Another fellow bald brother as well, too. But, yeah, that's that's right. That's my breakdown of the round. I love it. Yeah, Coach Willis, uh, obviously one of the great players. I mean, mid-range jumper. He he could hit that jumper, that tramp jumper, all day long. It was, it was infuriating because – it's fine when somebody hits a tramp jumper, especially if it's late in the clock, a shot clock. Nothing pisses me off more than when somebody just pulls up for a tramp jumper in the middle of a play, like 10 full seconds left in the shot clock, and they drain it. It's so infuriating when you're facing that as a coach. I absolutely hated it. Uh, in my opinion, James Willis, 
little bit of a dirty player now. A <laughs> little bit of a dirty player. Like, let's be honest. Now, maybe that's that's mob and writers history right there, mob and rumble history. But uh, what do you think he did with the team, coach? Like, to be completely honest, I didn't see a lot of system out there. I saw Ty McGee going one-on-one with the stopper a lot. I saw Ty McGee trying to do everything he could to win games. And I saw the offense, if there was any type of offense, I, I didn't see exactly what the strategy was. Did you see anything out there? Yeah, no, I, I think it. they were trying to get McGee and Christian Gray to play two-man game earlier in the year. And then with the yeah. rotating roster, all of a sudden, it's like, just give it to Ty McGee and just go. But a credit to Ty yeah. McGee, he put yeah. the team on his shoulders with it, right? It, and and that's I think that's a, a big part. Like, how... You know, we, when we move on to, to whatever the next season is going to be, how is it going to look like with your guys being healthy and a system come in? Now, I know, uh, I think it was the Wrath and the Griffs that practiced together, and they really spent a lot of time on, on, the, on the, you know, throwing off the glass, doing all the little things, and then trying to bring it all together, right? And so this is where coaching philosophies come in. Is it a style of play? Is it plays? Is it like, what is it that we're trying to accomplish every single time? Now, you talk about clearly what you want to do every single time, misdirection, throw the lob if it's there, and you guys did it over and over again. You know, we wanted to play tough. We wanted to be physical. We did it over and over again. That's what's going to be with the wrath. And, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it was tough for James Willis to do it. Now, would I like to see what he has planned for next season? Absolutely. I will know this. He will be talking, and he will be coming after all the time. And I love you, James, oh, yeah. but you know we've had these discussions. And listen, man, I, I think um, I think it'll be interesting as time goes on because, remember, not all of these roster spots are secured, right? These yeah. guys are going to have, like, who is going to come back from that team ready to go? And the reality is most of the time you're only as good as your weakest link. So – on that rat team, who are you, weakest link? And are you going to step your game up? Well, and you bring up a great point about the injuries, Coach. I do want to give Coach Willis and Coach Lee credit because they did have to deal with a lot of injuries. I practiced um, at some point during the season with the Wrath, and I was talking to Coach Willis, and he did mention, he, he, he gave me a quote. He said, uh, in slam ball, health is wealth. And right now, uh, what did he say? He said, right now, you're uh, – <clears throat> Oh man, I forget. He pulled he pulled somebody out that was extremely wealthy. And uh and and I agree with them. Like we got very lucky with our injuries. We lost Darius Clark for two games. We lost Cam Hollins for two games, and that was it. Oh, he said I was Bill Gates. That's what it was. <laughs> um but but he did have to manage injuries, like no doubt about it. There was a lot of turnover on that team. And and I'll be honest, we scrimmaged. Uh, we, the Wrath was the first team that we scrimmaged, the mob, in, in first full contact. And they kicked our ass. Mm -hmm. They kicked our ass in that scrimmage, physically and on the board and everything else. So I think they could have been really good. I was super impressed with Ty McGee. I think Sean Stith improved. Steven Julian is another guy yes. that I really liked. And I think you're right, Darian Slade and Nick Parks, fantastic players. Um, I'll be interested, Coach, honestly, to see these coaches, uh, what coaches come back. Because you mentioned yeah. not all the roster spots are guaranteed. Certainly not the head coaching jobs are guaranteed. Like Slam Ball, I know they were keeping pretty close tabs mm -hmm. on like what was happening with the teams and these coaches. And I do not think there's any world where all of a sudden they just run this back with the same eight head coaches. I don't think that's going to happen at all. So we'll, it'll be interesting to see how all that shakes out. Hopefully 18 wins is enough to keep your job. That's the only thing I know. Um, all right. Hopefully. <laughs> we're all hoping. That's where we're all. We've got, we've got <laughs> Griffins up next. Uh, they finished sixth overall at four and nine. Head coach Jelani Janice, assistant coach Rodney Bond, obviously the most fit coaches in the league. Yep. Both probably, arguably, the top X players as far as two being on the same staff because both of those guys were absolute beasts. Yep. Obviously, Rodney Pitt played for you guys. Coach, what's your take on the Griffs? Yeah, you know what? The Griffs really elevated themselves very similar to the lava from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. And I remember talking to coach Denise about um, how as coaches, you bring your personality, they play like the coaches, right? They play like the coaches and Jelani Janice, the sheriff or, or the enforcer. I don't know what his nickname is. All I know is that, listen, those two dudes look great in polo shirts. I don't look great in a polo shirt. That guy, 
they look like the Dick Sporting Good models. You walk in Dick Sporting Goods, I look at a pole, I'm like, yo, I don't look like that guy. But that guy looks like Roddy Bond or Jelani Janice. I don't know. Yep. But the Griffs, now one guy, right? They're, they had a couple of good guys, Adam Sanford, Justin Holmes was a first round pick, yeah. right? And he would just go right at it. And one of the things, mm-hmm. we'll give you some inside information right here on The Nation, is that on the scouting reports, we all, you know, we're said that Justin Holmes is going to come at you in the first and second quarter, and he's going to tail off in the third and fourth quarter. But then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you had Jones. Jones. I, I, if I butcher your name, it's either Keyshawn or Kaishan. I apologize. I think it's Keyshawn. I think I think it's Kaishan Jones. Uh, one of us is wrong for sure. So Kaishan, that dude was yeah. explosive. So and then Connor Hollenbeck, the back there is a stopper. And let's not forget, they instituted, which was basically Nick's, the two stopper system. One guy's jumping, and then the other guy, and then also you have like 10,000 pounds down on the scoring tramp because there's so many big guys there. But I have to say, when I first saw it, I was like, that's freaking brilliant. That's freaking brilliant. You know, but that's, you know, kudos to Jelani Janice for the way that he taught it, because I will tell you, they're not the first team to implement a double stopper system. Right. If you go back into slam ball history, the Diablos and then head coach Mark Ellis tried to run a double stopper system in season two. Mm. And I remember I was watching Phil. It, it was actually like, I think it was getting getting ready for this last series, series six. I was watching old film on the mob and I watched this game and I was like, oh my God, why are we attacking one-on-one from everywhere and just scoring relentlessly on the team? We're not running our system. There's no lobs being run. And then as I looked closer, it was during the game where the Diablos had rolled out their double stopper system with the Jackson brothers. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't stop anything, coach, because if you're going against the double stopper system, the old adage is like, just send a guy straight down the middle, right? Because which one of the two stoppers is going to, is going to commit to that, right? They have to decide at that point, but that was a very effective double stopper system. I understand why slam ball frowned on that. It's not something because slam ball is still in its infancy. There are still these, I don't want to call them loopholes, but there are still these strategies that have yet to be fully explored. And when you look at it, it is potentially a bit of a injury and health risk. If you've got two stoppers in alternating bounces and you have an offensive player attack and he comes down awkwardly and you got two guys already in the bed, a guy can get hurt. And I think that was slam balls uh, explanation for why they, they didn't like that. But I'm with you, coach Kaishan Jones, third in points per game with 20.1 sixth in hits with 22. You talked about Justin Holmes. What a fantastic gunner slash handler. He yeah. kind of reminded you of the way Jelani Janice used to play defensively. He was second in assists per game with 3.2 right. and get this. You talk about the Griffins, you've got to talk about their face-off percentage. They were relentless attacking the rim. If you look at face-off percentage, Justin Holmes was first with 93.75%. And then you also had Adam Stanford. He was third at 88%. Kaishan Jones was eighth at 77%. So when they attacked the rim and it showed in face-offs, they were able to score. It just didn't didn't happen enough during the game. And then you got to give a shout out to Matthew Wilkerson coach, because you're right. Mm -hmm. Connor Hallenbach would have been probably one of the best stoppers in the game. He gets injured. He's out for the last part of the year. And Matthew Wilkerson, who I wasn't overly impressed with at camp. I thought he stepped up when he had to play back there. Yep. He, he did. And again, and you said it, those coaches got those guys going and they started to believe you hear the interviews that Justin was talking about and, and Kaishan was talking about, you, you, they started to believe and they started clicking at the right time and they took on the personality of Jelani Janice and Roddy Bond. That's it. All right, so moving on to the Ozone, and I think we're doing pretty well here on time. Uh, moving on to the Ozone, uh, they were seventh at two and eight. Head coach Trevor Anderson, uh, assistant coach Gennaro Hempel, I believe we're planning on, on highlighting them first. Mm-hmm in the first team series uh, recording next week. Uh, so it'll be good to get their take. Coach, only guy on the roster that was anywhere in the stat leaders category on any stat was Keith McGee. Mm-hmm. And he was sixth in points per game at 16.9. What are your thoughts on the Ozone? Well, I think the Ozone, and I have to say that before we started the regular season, I they were, I thought, a big concern. Uh, meaning I thought they were going to be really, really good. We opened the season with them. Um, and and there's a couple things that, that I noticed watching them during preseason. 
um, in terms of how are these guys going to take the secondary hit. You could take the first one, like a hard foul, but how are teams going to take the second or third hit? And I've talked to Trevor about this um, before. That was one of our things that we want to do the very first game that we wanted to. But they had some high flyers. I mean, Brian Bell Anderson, obviously yeah. Trevor's kid, uh, could jump through the roof. He was also held back because of, of some injuries, but the guy's a force mm-hmm. playing football at Columbia. Keith McGee, high flyer. right? That guy was just flying high. I just took high flying and put it the other way to flying high. He was a guy who, who could just get up. He actually, and I gave him credit, because what he would do, he would be on the side, throw the ball off the glass, okay, turn, get into the tramp, and then do like a finger roll layup. And we started working on it because I was like, that's a pretty good play. That's a pretty good play. They had Marcus Gray, who got better as the season went on. Laquavius Cotton, um, who has been on the show hang time. Not hang time. Is it hang time? Winning time. Excuse me. Hang time is a is a really bad show from the 90s. Um, you know, and they had some big stoppers. I mean, they they really were were had all the different tools and everything else. And I think in slam ball, you just gotta you just gotta perform. I mean, knowing my bouncer teams, I've had good bouncer teams and horrible bouncer teams. And at the end of the day, they gotta perform. No matter what the circumstances is, they gotta perform. And they had to perform and they started getting better and better. But just like everybody, they just need more time. This team coach is way better than two and eight, mm-hmm. in my opinion. They're way better than two and eight. You, you, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Brian Bell Anderson, that, that injury in camp, that ankle was a bad ankle. And he really struggled with it for a lot of the start of the season. I would have liked to have seen them if he had, <clears throat> you know, not been injured. But Keith McGee is one of the best scorers we've seen. I think the, 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 as coaches, the one thing that you heard going around about Keith McGee, and we'll talk to him about this if he joins us next week, is you know he doesn't like to be hit. Mm-hmm. He doesn't like to be hit. And there are some basketball guys that just flat out don't like to be hit. And he got the, he got the MO of being one of those guys. So you would send your guys, of course, to disrupt offense, double team him, hit him a little bit, because he could do everything. He could attack you up high. He could quick you. He was one of the few guys that could bounce down in one and go attack the rim straight right. from the bounce down. Um, he could he could distribute. You know, he was throwing lobs to Brian Bell Anderson. Um, I thought they were a great team. To your point, Marcus Gray got much better. And then how about Keenan Love? Like kudos to Coach Anderson because Keenan Love, I know it's well documented. He was about an hour away from being cut. Yeah. Before I think we tried him at stopper in, in training camp and, and, and coach Anderson saw enough in him to make him his starting stopper. And I thought he did a, a, a very good job, especially for his height, six foot three. I mean, it's not, <clears throat> I, I've had undersized stoppers before Kevin, Ka- Kevin uh, Cassidy was an undersized stopper. Uh, Faison, DeAndre mm-hmm. Faison was an undersized stopper, but here's the problem with undersized stoppers is the timing. The timing, because you have to go so high in the air to make a block, it takes you longer to come down and hit the bed and then adjust to go back up. And so that's what, and Keenan Love did a great job of being able to overcome that, I think. Yeah, and people don't talk about this, but Keenan Love may be the most lethal human on the slam ball court. Because that guy, what, he's like, is it karate, jiu-jitsu? It's some sort of martial arts that he would just kill you. I'm not saying he has. I'm just saying, Keenan. Listen, I'm going to shake your hand, but we are not fighting. All right? We are not Keenan fighting. Love, Keenan Love, a professional MMA fighter when he's not playing slam. Yeah. If that tells you. I'll be your corner guy. I will be your corner guy, brother. Come on. <laughs> and then I thought the Ozone was also, before we jump into the Rumble, I thought the Ozone was also one of those teams where you could see they started to adapt their offense. I thought they were running pretty good set plays right out of the gates. They were doing some interesting <laughs> things that I think Coach Anderson took from his football background but they were running some uh, some intricate uh, exotic set plays right out of the gates. And I think their, like, their overall system, their offensive system, adapted throughout the course of the year where they started throwing more lobs. Brian uh, Bell Anderson got healthy, and they started running him inside the slam zone a little bit more. Um, so really solid team, excited to see uh, who they keep. Like, we don't even know, Coach. Like, historically, slam ball allows us to keep sometimes three players, sometimes four players. Sometimes those players count as your first four overall picks. Right. So it's going to be interesting to look at these rosters and see who sticks moving forward and and who coaches are willing to take a risk on. Like, let's say uh, one of these players in the Ozone counts as your number one overall pick, whether that's Keith McGee or Brian Bell Anderson. Are you keeping them? Yeah. You throwing them back? I mean, it's true. It's a, it's a, 
tough decisions to be made all around. Yeah. All right. And, and we're going to real quickly coach on, on that one. And we're going to, I know we're going to talk about the rumble, but I think one of the big things in slam ball, the transition defense is huge and ozone and the rumble were, were pretty much last uh, in those type of, of grades, just watching by the eye as well, too, because you've got to come back and play defense. And in slam ball in particular, if one guy's playing great defense, the other two isn't, that's a straight shot right to the basket, which you're leaving your stopper uh, to dry. And that's one of the big things that I think the Ozone and the Rumble who we're going to talk about has to work on if they're going to be successful. Yep, yep. You talked about the Rumble. They finished in eighth place, one and eight, although they would have been two and seven. Um, they lost that. I think it was the very first overtime game ever. Oh, yeah. Uh, where it was on faceoffs. And I think the, the Griffins beat them in that. Um, very good game, very close game. But if you look at the Rumble, <clears throat> here's one of the stats I want to point out to you Victorious Dean was first in slam percentage. At 87.5. First in the league in slam percentage. Richard Washington was eighth in the league in slam percentage. They're one of the only teams to have two of their players in the top eight in mm -hmm. slam percentage. But they probably were the team that attacked inside the slam zone the least. Right, right. Which I think is interesting. It's like how good would they have been if they had run more of their system inside the slam zone instead of relying on four-pointers? Uh, obviously, head coach, coach uh, Ken Carter, who was one of the original coaches with us, coach and, and Kevin Stapleton, mm -hmm. and then assistant coach uh, Whitney White, who is eventually, whether it's next season or sometime in the near future, going to be an excellent head coach as well, in my opinion. Yeah, no, totally. They definitely wanted to shoot the outside jump shot. And, you know, I, I think just like anything else, you have to buy in. And I don't know if, you know, there are some players who don't buy in to going all the way to attacking all the way. And there's some players who don't. I can't speak on those guys or the rumble in general. All I can say is like, guys, we got to take it to the basket. It's called slam ball, not shoot ball. It's slam ball, not shoot ball. Like we got to go with it. And you got, and they had some, gr I mean, Kalon Tippins Hill, Tamarick Fields. I mean, now granted their first round pick, Bakari Copeland did get injured earlier and could not play most but they had long guys victorious dean uh jetuan williams richard watt like those guys were all long could do all different things i see some good things moving forward with it but just like any team when you're at the bottom how big is your heart for you to move up and beat it and most teams when they're at the bottom like no we're gonna win the championship no if you're in last place you gotta go step by step you gotta get over the ozone you got to go over the griffs. You got to keep moving on up with it. Do they have the tools? Yes. Are they going to execute it? We won't know for the next nine months. That's it. Kalen Tippett-Hill, awesome player. He was fourth overall in points per game at 18. He was also fourth in hits with 24. Mm -hmm. And then Tamira Fields, you mentioned, I mean, they played him at stopper. He was a gunner. Yeah. They played him a lot at stopper because of injuries to Bakari Copeland. And Tamira Fields was sixth in stops overall with 50. You look at, I just looked up the stats. The Rumble were uh, 13 for 93, I believe, from the four-point line. Wow. That's 13.9% from the four-point line. And you took 93 of them. You look at point differential, which in slam ball, is huge it's huge they were minus 173 so they were last in point differential mm. and if you look at the points per game that they gave up they gave up 66.8 points per game which is the only team in the league give up more than 60 mm. <laughs> so i think there's things for them to clean up for sure but i think it almost starts in the defensive end of the floor coach if you notice the top four teams in the league uh, according to playoffs, mob slashers, buzz saw lava had probably arguably the four best stoppers in the league. Mm -hmm. So you've got to shore up that stopper position because having to fields back there, he's too good an offensive player. He's too good a gunner to keep at stopper for a majority of the year. You've got to be able to bring him up. So I think if they can figure that piece out and find a really good stopper, I think they're going to be very solid coach. And, uh, and and they also, the one thing that I will tell you about the Rumble, because we played them a couple times, is they would notoriously play basketball defense on the slam ball court, which for anybody who doesn't know, in the slam ball, you on defense, you don't keep an eye on the ball. Mm -hmm. That's not what we teach as coaches. You're watching your player 
and tramp denying your player off the ball. It's one of the hardest things to get over in slam ball is teaching your players not to constantly watch the ball. And what a lot of the rumble would do is if you got the ball to the island, they would turn their back and watch. And that opened up all the outside cutters coming from the outside instead of tramp denying. So that's one of the things they need to improve on as well. Yeah, and and you know when you you just broke down all their stats, but really like just six to one stops in nine games. I mean they 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 struggled, and I think in any type of team when you start struggling, you start to lose the team, and and I think that's what happened goes on. So I tell this to every player I've ever coached or who I don't coach, like you ha- can control your destiny. And sometimes it's just attacking, sometimes just putting up numbers, just it, like you just have to do it. There's no excuses not to, or at least try to. And you're right, they need a stopper. They need a couple other things, I think, as well, too. And they need a system of what we are going to do game in and game out, because we need one thing, two things, the Rumble we're going to do. They're going to take a lot of jumpers, and they weren't going to play defense. Like, that's just what every coach knew. Not saying anything and offended anybody, but that's what every coach knew. So now Rumble, you got to take that, put it in the envelope, stick it in your pocket, and get ready to unleash it when you guys come back. That's it. And I'll say, Coach Carter, I mean, he was one of the original coaches. He coached a lot of slam ball, and he's had success doing it. They won a championship. So I don't want to say anything uh, negative about Coach Carter. Um, But I will say that he is still the guy that doesn't know our first names. (laughs) For anybody who doesn't know, (laughs) Coach Carter will call me Brandon instead of Brendan, and he will call Hernando Fernando instead of Hernando. Now, is this intentional? Is it a psychological ploy? It could be. (laughs) Coach Carter's smart enough to pull that off, but he still calls me Brandon, and he calls you Fernando, and I think that's hilarious. (laughs) All right, coach, we've got we've done our uh, team preview for the team series that we're going to do. I think we've got Ozone first up next week. Uh, what are you looking forward to talking to the Ozone next week, coach? Well, I want to get in, in their minds. Like, what was some of the things that they had to go through during the course of the year? I think also I would love to touch on uh, about how does Coach Anderson uh, inspire his players and what he's learned differently from it. And then I think the other part, we're we're definitely going to talk about the Ozone Wrath uh, Rumble. Ooh, you see how I did there? I just put in three teams in there. Three teams that have a lot to prove on the slam ball court in 2024. You're the king of the teaser, Coach. You know what I want to ask, Coach Anderson? I want to ask whether he or Noah Ballou <laughs> watches their own highlights more. Or more importantly, whether he or Noah Ballou forces other people to watch their highlights more. I, I went to dinner with both of those guys. They just have their phones out the entire time. They're like, hey, look at me during this highlight. Look at me during this highlight. <laughs> it's pretty good. Two, four, they do have a lot of highlights yeah, yeah. to their credit. <laughs> They're very, very good. They were phenomenal players. I love it. All right. We got to sign off. It's been episode uh, three, season one. Coach, take us out of here. Listen, guys, I'm so glad that you have joined us on the Slam ball nation we are here to serve you we are here to answer all of your questions about slam ball and just know just know that nothing is off the table with coach kirsch and coach they can't cancel us no matter what that's right that's right bam (laughs) 